Hello and welcome to this edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine Show. I'm Amy and with me in the Home Office studio tonight is my mum. Hello everybody and uh, a very happy Christmas happy to our Christmas. Yeah, our Christmas episode of our podcast. We hope you'll enjoy it. Is it just me or did Christmas, after such a long year, did Christmas really sneak up very quickly? I think that people were so fed up everywhere with places closed and restaurants closed that everybody got their tree early, put up decorations just to cheer themselves up. A little bit of fun, a little bit of lightheartedness. I think people were desperate for that. <laughs> I am really glad to see all of the lights up. I go out for a walk in the evening. My husband and I admire all of the lights that people have up. Some really incredible displays across the city of Belfast. Well, do you think we should get started on a quiz, Amy? How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, okay. Lay it on me, mother. Okay, Amy, here's your Christmas quiz for December 2020. I feel like right. we should have jingly bells or well, something. Well, we can try adding them in the podcast. Well, <laughs> we're all familiar with the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Now, don't worry, not going to ask you what my true love sent to me on the ninth day of no. Christmas. Oh. Though if you knew, I'd give you a bonus, but you probably don't. But what date does the first day of Christmas actually fall on? A, the 1st of December. B, the 12th of December, or C, the 25th of December. Okay, the first day of Christmas. What is What date is it? Okay. The 1st of December, the 12th of December, or the 25th of December? Okay, I am nodding wisely on that one. And I hope so. Okay, which charity was the first to produce a Christmas card? Was it A, UNICEF, B, the Salvation Army, RC Oxfam, the first charity to produce a charity Christmas card, A UNICEF, B Salvation Army, or C Oxfam. No, uh, less certain on less that one. certain. Okay. Question three. Mistletoe, this comb album, is a choice of plant for stealing a kiss at Christmas. But what does the name mistletoe mean? Does it mean A divide? B, little dung twig, or C, dirty bird. <laughs> mistletoe, what does the name mistletoe mean? A, divide, B, little dung twig, or C, dirty bird. Okay? Okay. All right. Not so certain on that no, one either, definitely are you? Not, no. <laughs> okay, how's your mouth then? Oh. She groans. No. Okay. <laughs> Well, hopefully the listeners have better maths out there than you do. How many gold rings did the recipient receive by the end of the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? A, 30, B, 40, or C, 60? How many gold rings did the recipient receive by the end of the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Mm. 30, 40, or 60? Right. Little sum for you there, everybody. Yes. Okay. Okay, I'll have to do a bit of thinking. Okay, now here's one that you better do a bit of thinking for too, but it's really more guesswork. <laughs> Which of the following livestock was sold by Harrods as a gift? A, a mole, B, a skunk, or C, an armadillo? 
<laughs> which of the following livestock was sold by Harrods as a gift? A, a mole, B, a skunk, or C, an armadillo? <laughs> now, how does that quiz um, grab you? Well, I'm going to have to guess, but I can't <laughs> wait to hear the answers. <laughs> okay. So not all of my stories tonight are very Christmassy, but um, this one certainly is. It's about how, this hadn't even occurred to me, Santa is to visit virtually as Christmas grottos have been cancelled. Exactly. It didn't even occur to me to think about this. I used to love visiting Santa when Did I you? was wee. And the thought of of all these grottos and shopping centres and everything being cancelled, it, it's sad. So this is from um, the BBC's tech reporter, Christina Criddle. Uh, she says, Santa will be visiting children virtually this year as grottos close and Christmas events are cancelled because of coronavirus. Businesses have switched from planning physical meetings to arranging video calls to the North Pole with Mr. Claus. Socially distanced events have also been planned, but those in England will have to wait until lockdown is lifted. And in the meantime, Santa will be available online. One children's events company is hosting virtual Santa experience through Facebook rather than at its normal physical venue. Santa will interact with people on the video chat and children can also book to complete reindeer training, a virtual sleigh ride, or an elf-themed treasure hunt. We didn't want to take the risk of planning our usual live Christmas events in case of another lockdown, and we were right, says Helen Nurse, who runs Wonder Adventures with her husband, Brett. It will be safe and personalised. You don't have to queue. You can dress up with a hot chocolate in the comfort of your own home. There's always been a pressure on parents at Christmas, but it's even bigger this year. When actor James Bartlett lost work in the pandemic, he saw a gap in the market for unemployed Santas and set up <laughs> santascallingyou.co.uk. The website sells Zoom calls with Santa, Mrs. Claus and the elves. He says nearly 400 applied for acting roles <laughs> and we are still looking for more Santas. Planning online sessions allows parents to give personal details to Santa in advance, such as pets' names, favourite colours, and whether a present will be revealed during the call. Smart. Uh-huh. Some of the best go-to grottos, including Harrods and Fortnum and Mason in London, and the Thursford Christmas Spectacular in Norfolk, told BBC News there were no plans for Santa this year. But Chill Factory in Manchester, as well as a toy shop, The Entertainer, have arranged their own virtual offerings. Tour operator Santa's Lapland plans trips to Finland, where families can meet Santa in person and enjoy a holiday in the snow. And this year, it is arranging 10-minute video calls to Lapland, where families are given a tour of Santa's snowy cabin and an introduction to the reindeer. With restrictions increasing throughout the UK, many of us have been wondering how we'll keep the mag magic of Christmas 2020 alive, Chief Executive Paul Carter said. While no Christmas can compare to the sheer excitement of travelling to Lapland, with the help of a little tech, we intend to ensure it's still a Christmas to remember. 
Celtic Manor has launched Santa's Tea Party at its resort in Newport. Customers will be able to visit its Christmas-themed restaurant for a festive afternoon tea, complete with one-way systems, temperature checks, social distancing (laughs) and hand sanitizers. And Santa will dial in for an interactive group video from the North Pole. And elves will be there in person to entertain children and deliver a small gift to the table. Santa has decided it will be safer to follow the Welsh Government's advice and work from home wherever possible this festive season, a Celtic Manor resort representative said. And while Santa won't be here in person, he has assured all our guests that there will be nothing remotely virtual about the festive fun he will be bringing to the party. Meanwhile, some English venues are holding out for a Christmas miracle. Lapland UK, which usually welcomes more than 20,000 families to its attraction in Ascot, Berkshire, and has spent four and a half million on (laughs) making the location COVID safe, has no virtual plans. A representative said it would open whenever it could and was determined Father Christmas would not let children down this year. Wow, that's a lot of money to spend and not actually open anything up. That's a lot of money to spend on hand sanitizer. And that that was just the sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we all know, at Christmas time, it leaves us all very uh, open to burglaries. And I think you yourself were the recipient of a burglary one Christmas. We were burgled at Christmas. Yes, that was a good 10 years or more ago now, but we don't take a chance anymore. The doors are always thoroughly locked. Yeah, please remember that Christmas is a time for burglaries. Totally ruin your Christmas. So everybody, look, be extra careful. But here's one guy, and uh, I gotta say this, (laughs) made me laugh. Masked burglar steals the tortoise. (laughs) A masked man armed with a knife has stolen a pet tortoise and medals of sentimental value from a house in Strangford County Down. The householder in Elliot's place awoke at around midnight to find the intruder in his property. He confronted the man who made off on foot with items including the medals and the horse fields tortoise. Police said some other stolen items were recovered a short distance away, but the owner is understandably upset and concerned that the tortoise, which requires specialist knowledge and care, may come to harm. And anyone in the area at the time and who saw anything suspicious or who comes across the tortoise or the medals were asked to contact the police or submit a report online. Now, my question, what kind of a twit Breaks into a house in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, look, I might get caught by the police and sent to jail. And these elderly people might very well have COVID and I could get COVID. Oh, I break in anyway. Oh, hooray, what a steal. A tortoise and hit this minefield. Fantastic. I Dabby Dozy. I think, though, tortoises are very expensive these days. And I don't know that you can... I don't think you can just go into a pet shop and buy a tortoise Not anymore. anymore. But all the same, I keep thinking that that just, he can't have broken in just to get the tortoise. <laughs> and I mean, the medals were just a bonus. Sake, if you're out there and you've received a stolen tortoise, for goodness sake, bring it back. Leave it at the police station. Or maybe not, because they think it was a bomb and blow up. Don't maybe don't leave the tortoise in a box at the police station. That's maybe not a good idea. <laughs>
But staying on the animal theme, a woman who kept animals in filthy conditions avoids jail. A woman who kept dozens of wild animals and domestic pets in overcrowded and filthy conditions at her North Belfast home has avoided prison. Phyllis Burns had rooms full of dogs, exotic birds, snakes and other reptiles found in a severely dehydrated state due to the lack of water. An African grey parrot discovered in her Rospena Walk house was nearly bald, while a tortoise, oh, could it might be the same one, could only drag its legs due to muscle wastage. Oh. Burns of unknown age received a seven-month suspended sentence and was banned from keeping any species for 15 years. She was convicted on five counts of causing unnecessary suffering to the animals and a further 14 of failing to ensure their needs were met. The charges involved... Six corn snakes, seven bearded dragon lizards, three tortoises, twelve chihuahuas, six Yorkshire terriers, a St. Bernard dog, a West Highland terrier, three cats, eight hamsters, five parrots, eight finches, two turtle doves, no that was lovebirds, and two chickens, not in a partridge, in a tree. Three degas, what are they, Chichilian rodents? Belfast Magistrates Court heard the City Council officers went to Burns' home on October the 2nd to carry out the checks. They heard barking and detected a strong smell of urine coming from inside the property and a prosecution lawyer said that the hallway was dark with the stairs covered in faeces. More chihuahuas and Yorkshire terriers were discovered in a first floor room. Waste and urine covered the floor and dog crates while food and water bowls were all empty. The corn uh, snakes, bearded dragons and tortoises were in a front bedroom inside dirty uh, vivariums stacked on top of each other and no food, no water was available for the creatures and the beetles were spotted crawling over the containers. The hamsters were in stacked dirty cages in the landing area while the birds were being kept in the kitchen. The chicken and the degas were discovered in a similar condition in a shed outside. A veterinary surgeon confirmed the animals had suffered unnecessarily due to the state of neglect and excessive overcrowding. Further examinations by a zoologist concluded that the reptiles were severely dehydrated. Barrister Patrick Taylor, defending Burns, said she had mental health issues but had good intentions to look after the animals. She was motivated by the fact that they were due to be put down and she took them to avoid that fate but she was just unable to care for the animals properly. Imposing seven months imprisonment, the judges suspended the term for 12 months and the judge also ordered her to pay 253 illegal costs and £500 towards the bill of nearly £3,000 to treat the animals. Poor old animals. Hmm. I can poor lady, I'm she was a woman. Right yeah. You know, poor woman. So carrying on with my look at various Belfasts around the world, I had a response from my uncle Billy in Australia um, about my story last time about um, about Belfast. And uh, he says, back in um, 1835, there was a settlement called Belfast in Victoria State in Australia, which yeah. has since been renamed Port Ferry. Wish they would do that for our Belfast. Would that be more visitors? That'd be good. <laughs> the ferry was a ship that sheltered in the then Belfast Harbour in 1810. However, the name Belfast wasn't lost, as there is a lock nearby 
to Port Ferry, and it's also called Belfast Lock. <laughs> Just so, like our own lock. Yeah. Hope it's cleaner. It's, <laughs> oh, I wonder why they didn't change its name to Port Ferry Lock. That's not quite <laughs> no, the same. Not, so this time I thought I'd have a look at Belfast in New York. Um, but there are lots of Belfasts across America. And I thought, oh, look at Belfast, New York. There's bound to be lots of information online about that. I mean, it's New York. How hard can it be to find out stuff? But no, it was not that easy. So apparently, according to Wikipedia, Belfast is a town in Allegheny, Allegheny, Allegheny County, New York in the U.S., its population is a massive 1,663 people as of the 2010 census. It was named in 1825 after the city of Belfast, Northern Ireland, aren't they all? Because it had numerous residents of Scots-Irish ancestry from that area. This, the territory was, for many centuries before European encounter, occupied by the Seneca people, of the Iroquois Native Americans. European settlers didn't arrive until 1804, and the community was established in 1824 as the town of Orangeburg. Then in 1825, the residents changed the name to Belfast as many new settlers were from Northern Ireland. Irish immigrants worked on the canals and in the developing mills because it was a sort of connection hub with railroads and canals and all sorts of connectivity. In 1889, John L. Sullivan, an international Irish-American boxing star from Boston, Massachusetts, came to train with William Muldoon in Belfast for the last bare-knuckle boxing championship. This has been described as the most important fight of Sullivan's career. Muldoon set up training headquarters in two barns he owned, Known for developing training techniques ahead of his time, Muldoon helped Sullivan get into the best shape of his life. Facing Jake Kilrain in Richburg, Mississippi that August, listen to this, Sullivan lasted for an incredible 72 rounds <gasps> before being declared the winner. 72 rounds. I thought you were going to say before being declared dead. <laughs> she had 72 rounds of bare knuckle uh, boxing. Imagine. Yeah. So in 2009, the Belfast Training Barns, which had been virtually untouched for more than 120 years, were adapted for use as the world's only bare knuckle boxing hall of fame. And more up to date, and since the 1970s, Several pirate radio stations have used the Belfast Post Office as a mail drop to receive letters from listeners. These are the only <laughs> things of any note about Belfast in uh, New York. And in the 1980s, an Amish community settled in the town. They make their living from farming, sawmilling and furniture making. If you are ever in Belfast, New York, and the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame doesn't float your boat, the good news is that TripAdvisor says you're not far away from, wait for it, the Cuba Cheese Museum, <laughs> where you can acquaint yourself with the long history of cheese in Cuba. <laughs> um I tried to get some Belfast, New York news, but I couldn't 
their paper is totally locked down and readers using a computer anywhere in the EU can't get access to stories. And I was wondering, oh. will that change after Brexit? Because yeah. I, for one, would want to know what the bare knuckle boxers and the Amish people are up to. And I was forced to go back to Belfast, Maine for a look at their news and uh, discovered this from the Belfast, Maine newspaper. The Parks and Recreation Director, Norm Poirier, told city councillors on December the 1st that there will be no hot chocolate at the, this year's holiday on the Harbour event. The December the 12th event has been modified because of the coronavirus and Poirier is confirmed that germs might spread from unattended cups. As coronavirus numbers continue to climb statewide, parks and recreation have decided not to hold the ornament and cookie decorating inside Aww. the boat house this year. Instead, take-home kits will be handed out on arrival. And kids will not be able to have close contact with Santa this year, but will still have an opportunity to take a socially distanced photo with them next to a Christmas tree in the gazebo at Steamboat Landing Park. Might it have been better to still have the hot chocolate, but tell people not to, to leave, leave your, your cups unattended? Right. Or certainly not to pick up somebody else's cup, cup and just drink put the cups in it. the black yeah, plastic just put, bags. Supplies. Just put your cups in the bin. Yeah, uh, but I don't know, a cookie kit sent home. Uh, <laughs> there'd be a lot of perms going on. Uh, no, no more homeschooling. <laughs> Uh, uh, Amy, have you wrapped your gifts yet? I have indeed. You've been early I've this year. Spent my weekend being um, a very good little sticky tape and curly ribbon doer. Well, I'd be severely disappointed if you have not used Jane Means to wrap up mine because Jane Means is the gift wrapper for the rich and famous. And by wrapper, I don't mean like dizzy <laughs> rascal, etc. I mean W-R-A-P-P-E-R. Speaking of wrapping, I read an enlightening interview with a woman who gift wraps for a living. To be clear, she's not standing at the table in your local co-op or spa or supermarket. You'll find her training the staff in Harrods and wrapping the Beckham family presents Step forward, Jane Means, florist turned rapper for the rich and famous. She's turned down Prince Charles, not once but twice, because, <laughs> as she states, if I'm booked, I'm booked, and spent two days last year teaching the tricks of the trade to a wealthy client in Delhi. However, one of her most memorable jobs was on behalf of an oil tycoon who wanted 370 hampers, each filled with 40 presents wrapped in time for Christmas. The gifts included the best of everything, including a Chanel book worth thousands because it included fabric samples. So the job actually came with a security guard. We worked all hours and ate takeaways in our slippers each evening to get the job done, Jane explained. Wearing slippers at work and feasting on takeaways? Hmm, sounds brilliant. Jane, if you need someone to hold the double-sided sticky tape dispenser, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a job, imagine. Mm, yeah, but what do you think about this? I'm showing Amy a picture 
of an advent calendar. Now, this is an ultra luxe advent calendar. It doesn't look that luxurious. Wait until you read about it. When we were a lad, an advent calendar was made entirely of cardboard and behind each little door there was a Christmas scene. Might have been a picture of a Christmas stocking or a present with a bow mm -hmm. on top. Remember them well? Yes, yep. and on December the 25th, it was most definitely the baby Jesus yep. in the manger, craning his neck to see if the three wise men and their gifts were on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward a handful of years, a fistful more, and an armful on top of that, and you get where we are today, a world full of luxury advent calendars. And we're not talking about the ones with posh chocolates behind every numbered door, but the calendars with perfume, makeup, skincare, candles and booze, and not a hint of hay or lowing cattle anywhere. The most expensive one spotted was the £405 Dr. Barbara Stroom Advent Calendar. Dr. Stroom is the lady behind the vampire facial in which she draws some of your blood and re-injects it into your skin. <laughs> We've no way of knowing whether the 405 uh, calendar comes with a DIY vampire facial kit, short of buying one and opening all 25 doors or windows or whatever they're called in a luxury advent calendar market. Portals? Festivals? I don't know. <laughs> it's a bargain, though, and I've brought two for everyone that know I know, including the postman. The more spendy among you will be interested to learn that Tiffany's Co has upped the ante with its ultra lux luxury advent calendar. Coming in at a whopping, wait for it, a hundred and four thousand oh, pounds. No way. And you weren't impressed with the picture? Oh. This four foot high Tiffany blue locker room is stuffed full of stuff, costing between one hundred and thirteen thousand pounds a door. Diamonds and jewellery feature heavily, along with witty everyday items which most surely must mean there's a whoopee cushion in there somewhere. Tiffany & Co. is taking this advent calendar business way too seriously. Here's what it says on their website. Counting down the days to Christmas, we've put together an exclusive diverse selection of 24 must-have Tiffany designs wrapped in Tiffany blue and housed in a custom-designed keepsake replica of our Fifth Avenue flagship store. For our most desired jewellery to witty everyday objects, each day holds a new luxurious surprise you'll only find at Tiffany's. Contact the Gift Concierge for more information. And it adds uh, that I should be emailing a Gift Concierge with a long-winded ramble asking for suggestions of what I should buy for my family. <laughs> And by the way, that Tiffany advent calendar, there's only two left because I bought one for Amy and one for me. Okay. <laughs> oh, that is incredible. You can look forward to that, but only if Amazon can find Northern Ireland and that's the next story. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I love these stories about things that wash up yes. on the beach. So I find another story about stuff washing up on the beach. This is from um, November, again on the BBC, about a North Pole time capsule that oh, washed up on the Irish coast. I cut out that bit too, but did I you? decided not to read it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> so um, it says a mysterious metal tube, a Russian icebreaker ship, 
an unlikely 4,000 kilometer journey out of the Arctic Circle. Here we have all the ingredients for a Cold War thriller or perhaps a horror film. Who knows what thing the tune <laughs> might be concealing after all. Fortunately for Sophie Curran and Connor McClory, two Irish surfers, the washed up cylinder turned out to be more fascinating than pure fear. Inside, they find a time capsule from a crew of Russian North Pole explorers. It's believed the capsule travelled nearly 4,000 kilometres from the ice flows of the Arctic Circle to the slightly less icy but still pretty cold Atlantic waters of bloody foreland in Guador, County Donegal. It included letters and photos of explorers on board the 50 Years of Victory the world's second biggest ice-breaking ship from 2018. Speaking to the Donegal Daily, Mr McClory said the two friends came across the strange-looking item when they were out checking on surfing conditions. He took the precaution of opening the capsule outside, not fully knowing its contents, the surfer told the Irish News website. The 50 Years of Victory ship is an icebreaker vehicle which takes passengers on commercial trips to the North Pole. The ship, which can carry about 140 passengers and crew, is capable of breaking through ice as deep as 2.5 metres and can reach speeds of up to 18 knots or 20 miles an hour in open water. Inside the capsule, Mr McClory and Ms Curran find letters, food menus, badges, beer mats, wine corks, and a collection of photographs from the 2018 expedition. Speaking to BBC Radio Foil's Mark Patterson show, the friends said that the two, two letters were written in English, but tracking down who put the capsule together would take some detective work. They came across one of the authors of a letter, a Russian Instagram blogger from St. Petersburg known as Veta. The blogger told them the contents, of the capsule were from the 2018 crew. And speaking via Zoom, she told them the capsule was placed in the Arctic ice and that it must have melted and travelled the massive distance over the two years. The friends said that Zveta was shocked when she heard the capsule had been found so recently. Most people thought it would have taken 30 to 50 years before it would be found, says Ms Curran. It just shows how quickly the ice is melting, Mr McClory added. Through the discovery, the Russian blogger and the Irish surfers have struck up an unlikely friendship. And when COVID-19 restrictions allow, are hoping to meet up and go surfing together in County Donegal. Mr McClory and Ms Curran said they have sent the other letters, which are written in Russian, to Professor Simon Donahoe Nosek in Chicago. He speaks Irish, Russian and English and will hopefully translate the rest of the letters that were in the capsule. Oh, interesting, isn't it? Yes, I read that little bit and I cut it out and then I thought I'll try to keep more Christmassy things. So I'm glad you read it because I found well, that very interesting. It was, it yeah, was a it was washed brilliant. up gift and, yeah, from the Arctic. It's scary that the uh, ice oh, is melting yeah. so fast, isn't it? it? Is, that yeah. is scary. Now, Amazon has apologised <laughs> for saying the North is not part of the UK. Now, if you want to get people's hackles up, this is what you do in Northern Ireland. Yes. Uh -huh. 
the media and retail giant Amazon has apologised for saying that Northern Ireland is not part of the UK. The blunder came when a rugby fan asked why he could not watch the Autumn Nations Cup at the weekend, despite being a Prime Video subscriber. An Amazon, an Amazon customer service uh, advisor tweeted, Rugby Nations uh, coverage is exclusively available to Prime members based in the UK. We don't have the rights to other territories. <laughs> the exchange with Chris Jones, a journalist, bad oh, oh, no, a journalist from Ballyclare, prompted some witty responses on Twitter. The Dublin-born comedian Dara O'Brien said, Amazon Prime have delivered a United Ireland at before <laughs> 6 p.m. on the same day. <laughs> a later tweet, which attempted to clarify viewers' difficulties, prompted more jokes when an Amazon advisor tweeted, We apologize for the troubles. <laughs> Amazon apologized for the initial error. Our Prime video subscribers in Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK can access and watch the Rugby Autumn Nations Cup on Prime Video as part of their subscription. Mr Jones, who eventually remedied the problem by amending account details, told the BBC he hoped the Twitter debate livened up what looked to be a dull Saturday night in the middle of a pandemic. So this again, this one isn't really very Christmassy, but it's about an unexpected gift. So well, I, well, I, I deemed it worthy of inclusion in the Christmas special. Um, this is from the Guardian Experience series, and it's called Chrissy Teigen Paid My College Fees. It was told by Mercedes Edney to the Guardian. She says, back or by my late 20s, I'd had a point in my life when I was feeling lost, struggling to find work, and had to move back home with my family. I'd tell all my friends I didn't know what to do. One of them reminded me that I'd always loved beauty. I spent my childhood listening to my family's skincare ailments and dispensing what I thought were appropriate lotions. She suggested I do a six-month academy course to get my beauty license which would give me the freedom to set up my own business. It was exactly the direction I needed. The only problem was that tuition fees were $6,000, which was way out of my budget. I wasn't eligible for scholarships or funding. To help pay the fees, I got a job as a quality control technician at a construction company. I tested the emulsion that went into the asphalt used to pave roads. It was intense and I knew I'd have to work long hours to pay the fees for the course. To do both at the same time was going to put me under a lot of pressure. But I'm very stubborn so I was determined to make it happen one way or another. People can be very uncomfortable about asking for help or financial support but I knew that even working full time my salary wouldn't cover all the fees. I'd seen others set up crowdfunding pages to get the help that they needed to meet their goals. I thought I'd do the same. I knew if I could get a little help, it would leave me more time to concentrate on learning. I set up the page at the start of a week in early April and posted about it on Twitter. Within a few days, I'd received donations of $300, which I was over the moon about. I couldn't believe people were so generous. Then on the Friday night, 
while I was at work conducting an experiment, my phone pinged. I checked the notification and saw that a deposit had been made to my PayPal account, a very large amount of money. I had to sit down to read the words properly. There had to be some mistake. I assumed it was a scam. What I saw next blew me away. A stranger had made a very generous donation to cover all of my remaining fees for the course, $5,605. The name on the donation was one I instantly recognised, Chrissy Teigen, the model and TV host who's married to the singer John Legend. I read the email once, twice and still couldn't take it all in. I lost it. I started screaming and completely messed up the test I was conducting. Chrissy had left a note alongside the donation. I've seen this to be your passion for such a long time now. So excited to see you fulfill your dream. Immediately, I called my mum and my boyfriend. I was crying and not making much sense. I just managed to say that Chrissy Teigen had made my dream come true. I'd never met Chrissy and have no idea why she decided to donate the money to me. I knew that a few months earlier she'd started following me on Twitter, but never dreamed that she'd see my tweet or act upon it. I've always been a fan of hers. I thought she was funny and quirky. That's why I started following her. I don't know why she started following me. We've never spoken. The amount might have been a drop in the ocean for her, but it was life-altering for me. It was the stamp that made me feel, yes, I'm on the right track. She didn't have to do that. Lots of other people donated after her. I guess they thought if Chrissy Teigen can see that she's passionate about skincare, she must be doing something right. The next morning, I paid the $895 deposit for the course. I couldn't have been happier. I've now set up my own business called Exera Botanical and I use the lessons from my time at the academy every day. I always think about Chrissy's generosity. I did thank her, and we still follow each other. Hopefully one day I'll be able to give her a fish. Oh, is that lovely? Nice. Oh, that was really generous. That was really, really Random really act nice. of kindness. Indeed. Lovely. Okay, talking about random acts of kindness, I've just given Amy a, a little gift that I picked up uh, when I was out. And uh, it's an early Christmas present because there's not much point in giving it to her at on Which Christmas I Day. Merrily so she's merrily opening it. It's been wrapped up very well in a bubble, bubble wrap. wrap. That listen, do a few more for them. Oh, I love bubble wrap. It's really therapeutic. Isn't is that it? is that the present? Is That's it the bubble wrap? Uh, that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> While she's opening that, and she can tell us what she thinks of it whenever she gets it open. The world's first Christmas song for dogs has been released. <laughs> a tune brand at the world's first Christmas song for dogs has been released. Raise the Woof <laughs> features common <laughs> commands and dog-friendly noises over a reggae-style beat and was mastered at the Abbey Road Studios. According to its makers, the sounds on the track are the results of two months of work, during which time more than 500 noises were played to 25 dogs to narrow down the choice for the final track. The reactions to the track were monitored by an animal behaviourist and a vet 
obviously they had nothing else to do, to ensure it prompted positive behaviour from the dogs throughout. According to pet food brand Tails.com, signs of a positive reaction to the track included alertness, trying to discover where the sounds come from, head cocking, as well as tail wagging. Caroline Menteith, an animal behaviourist who worked on the track's development, said creating a song just for dogs to enjoy with their families seemed an ideal way to bring some light-hearted fun to a difficult year and get tails wagging nationwide. Now, what did I give you? Tell the listeners, Amy. <laughs> I love these. Yeah, you love that. I have Describe. I have got a lovely little white kitten wearing a pink sparkly scarf and a set of pink earmuffs. I, earphones, it's not muffs. I it's earphones. Well, earmuffs, earphones, earphones. It's wearing pink sparkly things on its ears though. <laughs> it's and it's lovely and it looks like it's fast yeah. asleep. Christmas and tree decorations. Also for hanging on the tree. <laughs> I've got, <laughs> and this is quite a big decoration. It's maybe it's about Hands, the size yes, of the palm slightly, of my hand. Slightly smaller. It's than uh, it says it's the shape of a bottle, and it says on the label, "Let Christmas be gin, one hundred percent festive spirit," <laughs> and it's the green of a Gordon's gin bottle. That's very pretty. I thought it's lovely. I, there was Perfect. one with prosecco, and when you shook the bottle, uh, they there was sparkly things ah, rolled lovely. inside it. And I wanted to buy that for Adrian, but by the time I'd finished buying those two, plus a few <laughs> from my other friends, before yep. I knew it, the bill was thirty eight pound fifty, and I thought yes. I'm not buying anymore. Well, <laughs> to go on with my bit, the Perfect app. This is for you, Amy. Meow Talk is a new cat translator. This is what you need. There tends to be apps for a lot of things these days, and the latest is hoping to be the cat's pajamas. Meow Talk, developed by a former Amazon uh, uh, Alexa engineer, records the sounds of a cat and attempts to translate the meaning. There are currently only 13 phrases in the app's vocabulary, <laughs> including feed me and leave me alone. <laughs> By recording all you need with my cat. <laughs> By it. recording and labeling sounds, the artificial intelligence and machine learning software can better understand each individual's cat's voice. The more it's used, the more accurate it can become, says its makers. And of course, many apps can be unreliable, so only time will tell if they this one's got the cat's claws. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Have they nothing else to do with their time, honestly? So I read this last year and I absolutely adored it. And I think last year, for anyone that didn't hear it, I last year I said, I don't like the poet Dylan Thomas. I don't like the things he writes. I don't like under milk with and all that really pained Welshy stuff. <laughs> and I had never seen this before, but apparently loads of people know it. Oh. And I had never heard it before. It's called A Child's Christmas in Wales. And I only took a small excerpt from it. But as I read through it, I could just hear the voices of kids in Belfast saying this whole thing. And I just thought it, it's lovely and it's funny and it's just so like Christmas. When when I was a child, and I'm sure when lots of you listeners were children, it's just Go so it's it. lovely. So, A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. One Christmas was so much like another. 
In those years, around the sea town corner now, and out of all sound except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before I sleep, that I can never remember, whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve, or whether it snowed for twelve days and twelve nights when I was six. All the Christmases rolled down toward the two-tongued sea, like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky that was our street. And they stop at the rim of the ice-edged, fish-freezing waves, and I plunge my hands in the snow and bring out whatever I can find. In goes my hand into that wool-white, bell-tongued ball of holidays, resting at the rim of the carol-singing sea, and out come Mrs. Prothero and the firemen. It was on the afternoon of the Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden waiting for cats with her son Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, is white as Lapland, though there were no reindeers. But there were cats, patient, cold and callous, our hands wrapped in socks. We waited to snowball the cats. Sleek and long as jaguars and horrible whiskered spitting and snarling, they would slink and slide over the white backed garden walls and the lynx-eared hunters, Jim and I, fur-capped and moccasin trappers from Hudson Bay off Mumbles Road, would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden. Or if we heard it at all, it was to us, like the far-off challenge of her enemy and prey, the neighbour's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Fire! cried Mrs. Prothero, and she beat the dinner, dinner gong. And we ran down the garden with the snowballs in our arms towards the house, and smoke, indeed, was pouring out of the dining room, and the gong was bomb-battling, and Mrs. Brothero was announcing ruin like a town crier in Pompeii. <laughs> this was better than all the cats and wheels standing on a wall in a row. We bounded into the house, laden with snowballs, and stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning all right. Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero, who always slept there after midday dinner with a newspaper over his face. But he was standing in the middle of the room saying a fine Christmas and smacking at the smoke with a slipper. Call the fire brigade, cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the gong. They won't be there, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas. <laughs> there was no fire to be seen, only clouds of smoke and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he said. And we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. <laughs> I think we missed Mr. Prothero and ran out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well, Jim said. And the ambulance. <laughs> And Ernie Jenkins, he likes <laughs> fires. <laughs> but we only called the fire brigade and soon the fire engine came and three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house and Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Nobody could have a, had a noisier Christmas Eve. 
And when the firemen turned off the hose and were standing in the wet, smoky room, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered at them. Jim and I waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them. She said the right thing always. She looked at the three tall firemen in their shining helmets, standing among the smoke and cinders and dissolving snowballs, and she said, Would you like anything to read? <laughs> I can just imagine that yes. happening. Oh, yes, I can totally just... imagine that happening. Like something in, happened in our yes. house. In our house or in any Anybody. number of houses in Larne and Belfast, Anywhere. New Zealand and Belfast, Australia and Belfast, New York and all over the world. <laughs> Well, here's some little bits and pieces that I uh, gleaned from the paper. And uh, there's a little uh, column in the Irish News, and it gives what's hot, what's cool, and what's not. And it says, last week we reported on Rocky, a tiny owl stuck up a huge Christmas tree in uh, New York City. Now, we're delighted to reveal that Rocky has been released back into the wild after a week's rest where she was nursed back to full health. So that's that that's that's nice. And we're delighted to read that a ten year old girl has been reunited with her cat after it went missing for nine months. After the cat was identified, Kaya Hammond from Surrey returned from school to find that Timmy was waiting. And about a hundred pilot whales and bottlenose dolphins have died in a mass stranding on a remote uh, Chatham Island near New Zealand. Such events are sadly common, with experts thinking that great white sharks were the likely cause. But uh, now, if you were to win something, Amy, what would you like? You know, any um, idea? Uh, I entered a competition the other day to win a £40,000 camper van. Would you like that? Well, I how would. would you like to be this guy? Iconic DeLorean comes back to the north. An iconic DeLorean car set up to return home after being won by a county Armagh man. Declan Halfpenny from Craigavon entered an online spot the ball competition to win the vehicle manufactured in Dunmurray here in Belfast and made famous by the 1980 film Back to the Future. While the car, worth about £40,000, comes with gull-wing doors, brushed stainless steel exterior and a rear-mounted engine, unfortunately there is no flux capacitor. However, the 49-year-old's disappointment will be mitigated by the £70,000 which accompanies the car through the competition run by BOTB. Wow. Surely everyone wants to own a DeLorean, especially me. The original was made 20 minutes down the road from where I live, he said. I love the Back to the Future films, they're classics, as is this car. I can't believe it. BOTB operated from stands at major airports for almost 20 yes, years. I've seen them. Before becoming an online-only competition and has given away more than £34 million worth of the prizes. Wow. Isn't that nice? Oh, I've always saw them at airports in the past and thought I've, nobody ever wins those things. Mm -hmm. Well, Imagine. there you go. They did. Okay, Amy, we're coming near the our recording time, so we'll do our quiz question answers, okay? Mm -hmm. We're all familiar with the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, but 
what does the first day of Christmas actually fall on? The 1st of December, the 12th of December, or the 25th of December? Now, I am pretty sure that one is the 12th of December being the first day of Christmas. Are you sure about that? Oh, really? I am pretty sure. Well, wrong again. No. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. No way. I'm sure. <laughs> no. You're just No, that. I'm not. The Christian Church holds Christmas Day, the 25th of December, as the first day of Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ, and it's ending on the 5th or the 6th of January, depending on which tradition is followed. You forgot that. However, most traditions hold the Feast of the Epiphany, which is your birthday, uh -huh. January the 6th, as the 12th day of Christmas, when the Magi brought gifts to the child, Jesus. Oh, uh, do you know what? That's just my really bad maths. There you that, go. I am putting that entirely right. down to mathematics. I didn't even follow that through in my head. Right, no. next. Try again. Move on. Okay. Which charity was the first to produce a charity <sighs> Christmas card? Was it A, UNICEF, B, the Salvation Army, or C, Oxfam? <laughs> this is going to have to be a guess, but seeing as I got a free, um, one of those free gifts or, you know, they were looking for money through the door the other day with Salvation Army, so maybe it's them. No. No. Of course not. Right. Out again. The answer is A. UNICEF, originally the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Now called more simply the United Nations Children's Fund, were the first to produce a Christmas card way back in 1949. And the first card was the reproduction of the painting, and was sent as a thank you to UNICEF in 1947, two years earlier, by seven-year-old Chiquita Samkova, whose Czechoslovakian village had received emergency funding following World War II from UNICEF. And current UK ambassadors include high-profile supporters David Beckham, Orlando Bloom, the late Sir Roger Moore, James Nesbitt and Robbie Williams. <laughs> Right, try again. Oh, okay. Right, okay. Mistletoe, this <sighs> come album, is a choice of plant for staying at Christmas kiss. But what does the name mistletoe mean? A, dove-eyed, B, little dung twig, or C, dirty bird? Uh, the middle one, it's a little dung twig. Yes, you got one. <laughs> The answer is B. Really? The word mistletoe comes from the Anglo-Saxon word mistletalton, meaning little dung twig, because the plant spreads through bird droppings. And the ancient druids considered it sacred because it remained green and it bore fruit during the winter when all the other plants appeared to have died. Right, got your maths ready? <laughs> oh no, I do not. <laughs> How many gold rings were received by the end of the 12 days of Christmas? 30, 40, 60. Mm, the 60. No, oh, and your maths are 40. just... It's yes, 40. Yes, 40, 40. I, 40. Thought, I thought I did the maths and I came to... 40, and then I thought, no, there's going to be a trick there somewhere, so Bimmer. I bet you it's 60. Do I did so. Bimmer. I had it. I was sitting here, and I had 40. <laughs> did not. By the time the 12 days of Christmas comes, you'd be the lucky owner of 40 gold rings. That is on the fifth day of Christmas, the true love sent to me five gold rings. 
Then five were sent each of the remaining eight days. So five times eight equals 40. 40. And the gold price per gram was earlier this week coming in at $57.19. And that equates with British money at 42.88 pence, which would be a pretty nice haul. Depending <laughs> on whether there were how big the ring was. 12, 12, 14 or 18, 24 carat. Okay. Which of the following livestock was sold by Harrods as a gift? <sighs> a mole, a skunk or an armadillo? Because my money would have been on a tortoise the way tonight has gone. But <laughs> that would have been stolen property. And Harrods don't do that. Mole, skunk, or armadillo. Um, who could resist a wee, a wee mole at Christmas? No. Uh, the answer is a skunk. B. Harrods once sold a live skunk. Intended for the purchaser's ex-wife, so he obviously thought oh, pretty yeah. well mm -hmm. of her. But they've also sold an elephant for the future U.S. President Ronald Reagan, as well as a hundred thousand pound gold manicure if he had the money to what? do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, good try, Amy. Oh, good no, try. That was that's what no. my Christmas happiness. That okay. just just put the gin. Just open the yes, gin. Yes, just bowl. open that week gin decoration. Okay. That'll do me. Well, thank you very much for listening to our Christmas special edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine show. Really do hope you enjoyed it. Tonight we had stories from, I had the BBC and the Guardian. And I had the Irish News the newsletter and the Belfast Telegraph. Well, we really hope you enjoy listening to this edition and um, we will be back in January with another edition at the start of the new year. So for now, from me and from my mum, we'd like to wish you all a very happy Christmas. And a very happy new year. <laughs>